Hello once again, Broncos country. This is Jared from the Denver Broncos pregame Orange Weekly podcast. Once again, Matt will be joining me here in a second to break down the short week Thursday night game against the Arizona Cardinals. They may have gotten rid of the color rush Thursday nights, but this is going to be an interesting game. We're sorry for the short week, but as you guys all know, the Broncos have also had a short week in preparing for the Arizona Cardinals, so hope you guys enjoy. In this episode, Matt and myself will break down exactly what we see in the 1-5 and Cardinals and how we can beat them to get our record back on track. As well as towards the end of the podcast, if you guys stick around long enough, we're going to tell you exactly why Broncos country needs to calm down a little bit about the way that our season is going. So, Sit back, grab a beer, grab a soda, grab a water, and enjoy the Denver Broncos Orange Weekly pregame podcast. Orange man. I'm rocking orange man. And welcome back, Broncos country, for another episode of the Orange Weekly pregame podcast. As you heard earlier, we have a short week going into this one, uh, and it's going to be an interesting one at that. Uh, Matt and myself are going to break down for you exactly what to expect. How are you feeling today, Matt? Uh, good. I'm feeling great. Um, you know, I'm feeling good about this Thursday Thursday night matchup, to be honest. I think it's going to be a good one for, for the Broncos to kind of jumpstart their season again. Right, yeah. I mean, compared to last week when we were talking about the Rams, this one's definitely more of a winnable and almost an expected win for us, so we could talk about a lot of things that we could do in order to beat a struggling Arizona team. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, last week, to be honest, um, it's kind of the the same trend you've been talking about from week to week. I think the Broncos did play up to the Rams level a few times during the game. You know, it it was tight at the end, 23-20. to That's a lot right. tighter than I thought it was going to end up. Jared Goff didn't throw a single touchdown. Todd Gurley had, you know, probably the game of the year with two 200 yards, but that's, that's beside the point. But Case Keenum, you know, threw two touchdowns, 300 yards. Like, there's a lot of positive here, I, I think. Um, right. The only the only detriment, I think, to this game is just the running game didn't work out. But, you know, this upcoming game on Thursday, now I think this is the time to really get the running game started because the 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 Cardinals have what the second worst or the worst rushing defense in the league uh, second worst to us second worst to us there you go so I mean th- this is a good get a good game to get Philip Lindsay and, and Royce Freeman going um, same with Case Keenum like this past defense is not very good for Arizona either uh, it's you know maybe the strength of their defense but I, I just think this is the game to get the season back on track especially on a short week like this just go out bang out a win you know it's got to happen yeah, I think a lot of people are underestimating this game too. Everyone's expecting kind of a kind of a crappy Thursday night game just because of the situational, you know, both teams aren't doing very well this season, but both teams have coaches that are on the hot seat and both teams have players that really really need a win to to kickstart their kickstart their season back into a, a, a the win column. So I I, th- I think it's going to be a pretty good game, honestly. I do too. And you're right about the coaching a hot seat. Uh, Vance Joseph like something's got to change. The, the right. culture of the Broncos just isn't what it used to be. And you know, we were talking off air here about, you know, the Mike McCoy and, and Del Rio days. 
with John Fox as the head coach where, you know, they, they made it to a Super Bowl. Didn't go in the Broncos' favor, but they still made it. And then a few years later with Kubiak, they boom, they're right back to Super Bowl and they win in a dominating fashion. So, you know, for Vance Joseph to come in here and all of a sudden the Broncos are a losing team, you know, th this is very difficult for a fan base and for an organization. You know, these are prime years for some of these best players and they're just sort of withering away. So something's got to change on this side. And again, I think this is the game to do it. I really do. Yeah, and so we talked about last week, you, we had mentioned that we think Vance Joseph has kind of lost uh, that leadership aspect. He's more of like a buddy-buddy with their team. And uh, I, I kind of want to get your your input on this today as we record this on, what, Tuesday the 16th. Uh, Von Miller came on and had a press conference that is now all over the news. It's all over you know Twitter and Facebook and all the social medias. But basically coming out and guaranteeing a win, saying that we're going to try our best and basically told him to post it up there talking all, you know, super frustrated. I get that Von Miller is super frustrated, but is that is that good for the team? That's a good question. I think it's time somebody steps up as a leader on this team. Um, for Von Miller to guarantee a win is dangerous. I mean, you set yourself up to, for, to fail when you guarantee a win. Um, so, you know, I think it's nice somebody steps up and they're trying to light a fire in his team and, and they want to get going. I think it's kind of unfortunate that it's a player that has to do it. Um, you know, very rarely do you see a winning organization where a player is stepping up and, and making the noise. Usually it's the coach that takes care of the media and the right. news up on the team. It's usually the losing teams that are, you know, in the news a lot, with some exceptions, but in majority. And, you know, I'm glad to see some energy, but I don't know you know, if, if, if that's going to be enough to, to get through this. The way I see it too is while I love you, right. I love Von Miller's energy. I love his enthusiasm. And I get that he's frustrated with the media, especially asking the questions over and over again. Like you guys are struggling. How do you feel about it? Right. I mean, as a player, that's gotta, that's gotta wear down on you when people keep nagging you saying, Hey, you're not living up to your expectations. But I think that basically guaranteeing a win and going out there saying that they're going to, they're going to beat their, you know, what's, um, I don't think I think it's a lose lose situation because if we lose this game, now that makes it a hundred times more embarrassing for the Broncos country. And if we win, it's just going to get passed off as we were supposed to win this game anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like going out and guaranteeing us to to beat a, a one in five team or whatever is not going to help our case. It's not going to help us in any way, no. shape, or form. It's going to hurt us if if in the long run if we lose, and it's not going to help us if we win. So, in my in my opinion, I think that. It was just kind of a maybe you know out of frustration and you know he just he just got you know the best of him up there but I don't think it was a good move on his part. I don't think so either, but I think that something had to happen. Somebody has to step up. There needs to be a leader on this team. You know, back in the Peyton Manning days, Peyton Manning was a leader. You know that that was it. Nobody really kind of uh, tried to to take over that role. That was just it. But now, who's the right. leader? You know, if you if if you just ask a random fan who's the leader of the Broncos, who's the face of that franchise. Uh, you know, I'm sure there'd be a moment of thought because it's, it's hard to identify a player who really stands out as the guy. You know, Von Miller, yeah, he's, he's the best defensive player on the team. He's one of the best defensive players in the league, but he's not necessarily this big vocal leader that you can anchor yourself to and follow to, to these battles. So, you know, that's an element missing with the Broncos. And I think that Vance Joseph is not doing a, a great job in terms of a head coach and a leader in, in bringing out the players' leadership and, and sort of lighting that fire. Uh, if you rely on the players to do it, it's going to, you know, you rely on 52 guys to light one fire. It's a lot harder to, than one head coach doing it. So, 
it's it's not easy by any means. Like I'm not sitting here saying that oh, I can run this team. Like absolutely <laughs> yeah. not. It's a very you know, it's a big challenge. And Vance Joseph, I'm sure he's doing the best he can. But at the end of the day, I just don't think he's in the right position. I don't think he's the right guy for the right job. And that's just it. Uh, this weekend's Cardinal is going to be a big test because, like you said, they're also struggling. They're one in five. They've got a rookie quarterback. They've got a rookie head coach. They've got um, an experienced offensive coordinator, uh, but who runs a very complex system. Yeah. And they've got a rookie defensive coordinator, too, and Al Holcomb, who was um, with Wilkes up in the Panthers. So they have some continuity there. But Mike McCoy is, you know, he's always played with veteran QBs and, and with Rosen. Um, you know, thankfully, Rosen is brilliant. He's far more intelligent than any other rookie. You know, he, he's able to mentally take on this game, but it's just not producing on the field right now. They have 100 completions. The Cardinals have 100 completions this year between Rosen and Bradford. And uh, Keenum's got 147 over the same span right. of games. You know, this is not a team that is very feared. And if, if the Broncos go out and they lose to this team, you know, especially with a, an extra week there, I'm sure Elway's thinking about some major moves to be had because something has to happen. And this is, this is unfortunately a must-win game. You know, we're midway through the season and you're already talking about must-win games. So this is a very drastic situation for the Broncos. It is. So hopefully hopefully Von Miller's right and they will win. But, it, it you know, it's nerve-wracking nonetheless. They need to feel that pressure and that urgency. Yeah, now now we have what you call, you know, that billboard quote, you know, as, as they yeah. head out. Now that everybody has this motivation, on, especially on Arizona, that everyone's like, oh, okay, Von's guaranteeing a win that's going to make them play that much harder too because this is a must-win game for them too. Their coach is on the hot seat just as much as Vance Joseph is. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and same thing with Mike McCoy. I mean, this is the first time Mike McCoy has played Broncos since he left, which is something to, to mention. And, you know, he's having the same lackluster offensive production that we've been having. And, and I'd say almost worse, like you said, he's they've gotten oh, yeah. that much less completions. They also have one of the worst run offenses in the league, and they have one of the best running backs in the league in David Johnson yeah. like how do you have one of the best running backs in the league and still so bad now we there's a lot of injuries on that offensive line and I get that and we're going to get into that a little bit on our side as well but let's just talk a little bit about this Arizona offense and because I want to mention that they have the weapons but I don't think and this is why Mike McCoy is on the hot seat once again towards the end of his it looks like towards the end of his coaching career is he has the weapons and he's not capitalizing on using them, he has one of the best running backs in the league, and he can't he can't get more than a hundred yards a game. He can't even get a hundred yards. Yeah, a game. no, absolutely. And I mean, I think it goes down to that offensive line. Um, this year, Arizona has out of this five guys they have four new players at offensive line, and they're all banged up. Like Andre Smith, Justin Pugh, Mason Cole, rookie Mike Upati, and DJ Humphreys. DJ Humphreys was there last year, but the other four are new to the team. So there's a level of chemistry that just hasn't happened between this unit and like it or not other than mason cole who is a rookie um these other guys are pretty much excuse me they're just rejects from other teams right you know what i mean other teams didn't want them so that you know they're the cardinals are kind of taking the scraps from other teams i mean that's kind of rude but <laughs> nevertheless that's what's happening um and the rest of this offense like josh rosen he's new ricky seals jones uh i think he's a rookie i'm not sure but he hasn't been around for a long time larry fitzgerald's been you know in arizona for his entire career and you know bless his heart for sticking through these horrible years he's he's, he's such a he's a leader you know i think he's really yes. the face of this offense but unfortunately you know, he's stuck in this position where Mike McCoy just hasn't generated this movement that you want to see. Because statistically, 
man, they are the worst offense in the league. Like, they are last in yards. I think they're last in passing yards. They're second last in passing yards to Buffalo. Uh, they're second last in rushing yards, I think. Oh, no, they're sorry. They're dead last in rushing dead yards. Last, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, in points per game, too, I think they're just, you know, they're second last, 13 points a game. You know, this offense is just abysmal. Like, you know, I, I don't really know what is the issue with the Cardinals, but I think it stems from this offensive line lacking some continuity and lacking some, you know, some some talent, really. Right. And and then it translates to the rest of the team because David Johnson, like, he's got 297 yards over six games, 3.2-yard average. Wow. You know, he's got five touchdowns, which yeah. not bad over six games. That's pretty good. But, you know, uh, the, the best running back in the league, and Todd Gurley, he's got 680 yards, and the Cardinals' entire offense has 384 yards. Right. So, you know, there's something there. Somebody's going to have to step up, and David Johnson's that guy. But, guy, you know, it's, it's really tough to see what the issue is. The leading receiver for the Cardinals is Christian Kirk. He's a rookie. rookie he's got 311 yeah. yards, one touchdown. And he's a rookie. You know, Larry Fitzgerald's not even the leading guy. So, you know, who's, who's the identity on this offense? In Christian Kirk's defense, he's a very, very talented wide receiver, and he was highly touted coming out of college. I, watching him play is actually kind of fun, and you know, I, you almost wish that Josh Rosen could give him the ball more. So going forward, obviously, something to watch in Arizona. But right now, he can't. He doesn't have yeah. the time to be able to sit in the pocket and get in the ball in the first place. No, absolutely, and, and thankfully, Rosen is you know like in, intellectually just he surpasses a lot of rookies and he was my favorite quarterback coming out of this draft right. i think he's got a lot of potential he's been a winner wherever he's gone uh, i watched a bunch of interviews with him uh, leading up to the draft and one thing that really stood out to me is, is he kind of did a rundown of his uh, career and when he was in high school he was the number two quarterback recruited to, to college um, and, and when he was in college, like he was always number two, but there was always somebody considered ahead of him. But Rosen was still winning games. He was still in the championship games. He was still producing crazy numbers. So he was overcoming a lot, of, a lot of deficits in games. Like he's just a really good quarterback. And I like him. I think he's great. He's got a really bright future. Uh, and I think he's just, and I think honestly, he's in a good situation to be in such a rough team so quickly mm-hmm. because you learn a lot when you lose. And if you come out of year one having lost a lot, you're under the radar. You know, the team's going to have you for five years, and now you have time to build with a guy like Christian Kirk, who, like you said, is awesome, and he is. Texas A&M, he was great, and he's a great pick for the Cardinals to pair up with Rosen for a long time. So, it's you know, these guys are very talented. They have a lot of potential. They're just right now in a situation where they're not being maximized. And I'm sure it sucks, to, you know, for Rosen to sit there and see Darnold and Mayfield and, and all these guys just lighting up the scoreboard and having a blast and winning games, and, and they're they're just kind of sitting back and trying to play basic football. And he's fighting for his life every every time he gets the ball. Every time he's and he's not a scrambler and he's scrambling, running around like crazy. But right. it'll be interesting to see, really interesting. But I think Mike McCoy is a good pairing for him because McCoy always runs a very complex system. And I think Rosen is learning a lot. So in terms of, you know, the health of the Cardinals, I think that they're rebuilding and they're, 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 they're trying to regenerate, you know, a a unit, a team that, you know, was once a Super Bowl contender. Now they're just, you know, the bottom. So that's why I think that the Broncos have a good chance of beating them just because the Cardinals are, you know, in my opinion, one of the worst teams in the league, statistically too, like. Right. And if you're Mike McCoy and you're Josh Rosen, you're going into this game, you're, you're prepping for this short week. 
you know, you have to look at this defense of the Broncos letting up 161 yards per game rushing. Now this, in in their side of it, looking at it, they're like, this is our chance to get David Johnson going and to, to kickstart his, you know, season back up and start their run game and try to get their identity as an offense. You know, as like you were saying, a lot of these guys are all new to this offense. So that mm-hmm. that's going to be their game plan. So, I mean, it's going to have to. Basically, what, we, what we've been doing is kind of trying to do the run to set up the pass. But if you're Josh Rosen, if you're Mike McCoy, and you're sitting in that locker room, or you're sitting in, in front of the tape looking at this Denver Broncos last two weeks, having the worst run defense in the last two weeks, how do you prepare for that, and where do you go? Knowing also, and I just want to point this out, that you still have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on the outsides, that if you get yourself stuck into a third and anything longer than six, with the offensive line that they have, it's not a very good probability of them finishing that out. Absolutely. And Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, they have 10 sacks between the two of them. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm ready to, to bet on each one of them having at least one sack this game. Um, but, you know, if I'm Rosen and McCoy, I'm looking at the tape from every game that the Broncos lost, the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Jets, and the Rams, and I'm looking at the run defense. Like you said, what's happening and why, like – Todd Gurley running 200 yards that what it's Todd Gurley like I'm sorry he's gonna you know he, he's gonna break up but guys like Isaiah Crowell running for 160 that's what I'm watching how did Isaiah Crowell manage to get so uh, so you know so many yards and, and have such a great game and I'm looking to exploit those numbers because you know you, you can't have to com- compare apples to apples here and David Johnson is playing like an average running back right now when his yeah. base talent is something so much more than that uh, this this could be a breakout game for David Johnson, to be perfectly frank. And, you know, it might just happen that way, but I think that the best way to attack this defense is exactly the way the Jets did it, exactly the way the Rams did it. And, you know, just kind of never get stuck in those third and longs because Von Miller and Bradley Chubb will expose you. Yeah, and I think I'm going to take the hot take on this one. I think it's going to be one one or the other. Either David Johnson's going to have his breakout game and expose our Denver run defense for exactly what it is, or the Denver run defense is finally going to have their game to stop mm. them and prove that, you know, the last two weeks may have been a fluke, or at least the Crowell game. You know, yeah. obviously you, you mentioned it, that the Rams game, that's a, that's a, an all-star running back, but that the, the Jets game was a fluke. So I think that's what's going to happen. And obviously the Denver fan of me, <laughs> uh, the Denver, yeah, Denver fan of me wants yeah. it to be that way. It, that, uh, but I say, I say he either gets, uh, you know, less than 80 yards or he goes for over 150 I don't think there's an in-between there. And, and it could very well happen that the Broncos' defense finally comes together. Because on this short week, regardless, like as an offense, you don't have as much time to prepare. Right. right? So it kind of plays in the favor of the defense. A defense can go in a short week and just play their base packages. Yep. You know, They can start in, play man in zone, stick with the cover three zone just to, to start the game off and just, and just kind of get a feel for that. Because you can't come in with all these exotic looks and blitzes and stuff after a short week. That's, that's just too difficult to do. Uh, so the Broncos defense could finally come up and have a good game because this Cardinals offense, like we said many times so far, they're, just, they're poor. They're terrible. You know, I, I don't think David Johnson is a player he used to be. Um, he doesn't have the line that he used to have. He doesn't have the quarterback. It's a different coordinator than before. And he's just in a very weird situation right now. And, you know, so be it. It's, he's just not having a good year. Yep. I think the Broncos have an advantage on that side. I think the Broncos defense is much better than they've played all year. And I think it's they're much better than the Cardinals offense across the board. Absolutely. So now let's flip the ball. Let's flip the other side too. So we're talking about 
Now, we, we talk about how Denver has the worst run defense league, letting up 161 yards per game. Arizona has the second worst run defense league, letting up 151 yards per game. The only difference here in this game is that Arizona has the worst run offense, but Denver still has one of the best running offenses in the league. Now, let's take this with a grain of salt because we're also losing. Right now, uh, Jared Valdir is, is week to week, but with the short week, I can only imagine and assume the worst that he's not going to play on Thursday. And we just lost Ronald Leary for the year. Those are two guys that we've picked up the last two seasons that have really been the crutch for our run offense. And we talked about it last week, that Ron Leary and Jared Valdir, those are the guys that have really put us over the edge to being one of the best running offenses in the league. So without Mm -hmm. those two guys, are we still going to be able to have the productivity that we had, especially when we have a, a good matchup coming up against the second worst run defense in the league? Yeah, I think so, because, um, yeah, you know, I think those two players had a big impact, like Leary and Valdir, on on the running. But I also think that guys like Philip Lindsay have had a huge impact because because Philip Lindsay is able to do things with the ball that you know Broncos running backs haven't been able to do for a while. Yeah. And the the defense for the Cardinals, just looking across the board, especially this in within the box here, you know, Marcus Golden, Robert, Ken Dimitri, I I can't even say his name. I'm sorry, <laughs> Corey Peters. Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones, a great pass rusher. He was right. awesome with the pads. He got traded to Cardinals a few years ago, and he's been great with the Cardinals. Like he's he's their best player on the defense, or one of. Uh, and then the linebackers: Gerald Hodges, Josh Bynes, and Dion Buchanan. Dion Buchanan played safety in college. They dropped him down to outside linebacker because a lot of teams are playing these open packages. So it's it's a, right. a mismatch thing. It's more of like a hanger. It's less of a safety, more of like a hanger linebacker. Yeah, he's a hybrid player. So you know, he's playing this hybrid role. So within the box here, it, you know, I don't see very good run stoppers here. And I think the Broncos, even with a couple backups on the offensive line, they do have an advantage. Uh, Royce Freeman is being a hammer of a running back. He can come in and just set up two, three-yard gains and let Philip Lindsay you know, get the big yards, run on the outsides and the counters and things like that. So I, I think that the Broncos offense is, like I said, you know, about their defense is better than the Cardinals defense. I think they have a big advantage. And just looking at the stats for the Cardinals, um, you know, their two safeties are their leading tacklers on the team. Buda Baker and Antoine Bethea, they are their leading, leading tacklers. When your safeties are your leading tacklers, it means the ball is going deep down the field. Yep. You know what I mean? It means the ball is getting past the linebackers on multiple occasions. So that's just a sign that, you know, these linebackers aren't necessarily fantastic at containing the run and stopping the, the ball the line of scrimmage. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to get behind the backers and get that second level and then to, to do some damage. You know, they might not be able to get past these safeties very often because Buda Baker, young safety, awesome. He's, 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 he's on the up and coming. Super fast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Anton Bethea, he's been playing since, I don't know, man, since like Joe Namath, I'm sure. <laughs> and, you know, he's been around for so long. He's got a lot of experience, too. So you got a good mix back there. So their secondary is pretty strong between Baker, Bethea, and Peterson. These three players are, you know, potential Pro Bowl players. So they're all really good. It's just a matter of getting, you know, the ball away from those guys. But they can do that with a solid running game against the Cardinals. No problem. You can absolutely take over these games. But it's going to be, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be something that you have to establish. Keenum can't come out and throw it 51 times. No. That's definite. You can't have that. No. no. Yeah, you got to stick with the run game. And even last week we saw him, you know, we, we thought we were down a little bit, so we decided that we had to start throwing the ball. And, and I, I do want to get into that from an offensive mindset. But as, as an offensive guy, as an offensive line, Matt, uh, as an offensive line coach and, and player, uh, what is it to have those guys like Ron Leary and Jared Valdir 
uh, being injured because I just want to I just want to real quick before I ask that. So our offensive line looks like this: Garrett Bowles, Max Garcia, Matt Paradis, uh, Connor McGovern, and Billy Turner. All of those guys have been on our team for a while, and all of those guys, other than Garrett Bowles, who was a rookie last year and coming into his second year and having a little bit of holding issues, all of those guys were on that terrible. 2016 offensive line that we had to go out and get Garrett Bowles in the first round. So how big is it having Ron Leary and Jared Valdir being injured and how much has it maybe made this line, these backup guys, Max Garcia and Billy Turner better and how much impact is that going to have? Or are we going to see the same line that we saw in 2016? I think it comes down to a level of confidence. Uh, you know, Valdir and Leary, these are, you know, we've mentioned they're the best players on the line. Right. And when you lose your, your two best players, uh, even when you're the number three best player on the line, all of a sudden you're the best player on the line. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, okay, like I've got to step up and everybody else has got to step up. And it's just sort of a confidence thing. Leary is the left guard. He's the, the power blocker. He's the one doing the pulls. He's the most athletic one. He's, he's a big anchor in the run game. Felt here is the right tackle. Nowadays in the NFL, the pass rush is coming from the right side of the offense. So the right tackle has to be good at stopping the pass rush, which never used to be a thing. It always used to be the right tackle is the run blocker and the left tackle is the pass blocker. But now defenses, since they figured that out, they flipped it and they're attacking the, the right side as much as they're attacking the left side. Uh, the one good thing, though, about this game is, is again, I mentioned the, the depth chart for Arizona, and, you know, they've got Jandler Jones, who's a very good pass rusher. I could see him get one or maybe two sacks in the game. He'll get in the backfield. But after that, you know, I'm not – I don't see what's, what's going to be very terrifying. I think if any game where these guys need to be, you know, hurt, you know, you know, I never like seeing guys hurt, but if, if if you need to be hurt in a game, this might be a game to do it. How much is how big is it as an offensive line guy to have a running back like Philip Lindsay who can hit the hole so fast that you really just need to make sure that your block's there to begin with? Maybe hold it for a couple seconds, especially if you're if you're shooting outside hip or outside shoulder, and you can get to that outside shoulder and chip him and let him come upfield. How how nice is it to have a guy like Philip Lindsay that can hit the hole fast enough to where you don't have to worry about the weight? Oh, it's so good because, like, as an offensive lineman, from when you're a young a young kid, sorry, you're taught that you need to give the quarterback or the backfield about three seconds. Yeah. If you can hold your block for three seconds, you're doing a pretty good job. Um, and three seconds is fast, but as an offensive lineman, it's pretty long when you're in that hand fight. So to have a running back that can bust through the hole in about a second and a half, wow, makes your job so much easier. <laughs> you know what I mean? In terms of that initial block. But what's difficult, though, is, is say – Say you're you're one of the guards or even the center. You know it's a run play, and then you have to go up and block that linebacker on that second level. You got to hustle to get to that second level because that running back is coming. You know, just flying behind you. Even with Royce Freeman coming in with that sort of hammer mentality, like he's coming the shoulder down, and you've got to hustle to get to that second level. So it's really good because you know you can trust the running back to to make you look good and to gain yards, and they're gonna they're gonna get positive yards throughout the game. But at the same time, like these offensive linemen, they have to be on their game this this week because it's going to make the world of a difference. And I'm going to completely retract my other statement because I'm looking at the stats here. And yeah, the Cardinals have 18 sacks and they've got sacks like across the board. Buda Baker's got one. Josh Bynes got one. Peterson's got one. Chandler Jones got five and a half. Then uh, Hassan Reddick, he's got two. Corey Peters, two. So they've got like everybody's got, you know, 
the sacks are spread out. And I think that comes from Wilkes and Al Holcomb in the time of Carolina. You know, Carolina was always a sack defense. They were really good at creating that pressure and getting to the quarterback. So it's right. sort of translating this year. Um, so, yeah, you know what, this offensive line, I think they're going to win in the running game, but I think they're going to be challenged in the passing game, especially from this Chandler Jones. He's got as many sacks as Von Miller. So whoever's playing on that right side, it's Billy Turner, you said, right? Yep, Billy Turner's on the right. Yeah, so they better get a tight end in there, running back to help out in the pass protection because uh, they're going to be coming. They'll be coming fast. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously it's something that we're going to have to worry about. Today. You know, the sacks are there, uh, and, you know, for uh, if we decide to pass it, but if we don't pass it more than, I'd say, 25 times this game, which is what I'm hoping for, right, and you're going into this game going, okay, they have the worst run defense in the league, let's – we kind of know yeah. what we need to do, and we have we know our strength. We know their weakness. I feel like it's a uh, you know pretty easy two plus two equals four kind of thing. But um, you know there, there's other aspects at play here. There's other big things. You know they're going to be game planning against it. They might load the box a little bit more, leaving one on one guys. You know against like Cortland Sutton and Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Um, and uh, we you know we might not be able to to hit the middle or hit the hit the run as as well as we'd want to. Yeah, absolutely, and. And this game is really going to come down to that running game. If 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 uh, Keenum throws it more than forty times, more than thirty times in this game, like there's something wrong with these this, this coaching staff with their game planning. You're going up against the second worst run defense, and you're throwing it 30, 40 times. Like shame on you. You know what I mean? Like the goal of a coach is to find the the, the weakness of the other team and to exploit it. Yeah. You know, like um, the, the Cardinals' defense. I think they're middle of the run here in terms of they're twenty. Uh, sorry, they're twenty fifth in yards. But in pass, they are, uh, where are they, 14th against the pass. You know, Denver's 13th against the pass, so pretty equivalent, you know, in terms of pass defense. But it's not run defense. Man, if if Keenum's throwing it 30, 40 times in this game, like, I don't know what to tell these guys anymore. But, like, something's got to have to adapt. I mean, with Lindsey and Freeman and Booker in there, just run it and run it and run it. They're going to get the yards, you're going to eat up the clock, and you're going to score points. You know, that's that's really the only way I see it to happen. It's good. It might be a boring game to watch for the average fan, but that's football. You know, it's a running it's a running sport with right. some passing. Unfortunately, now it's you know the, the 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 trend is to pass all the time. But the best teams are the ones that run and yeah. the ones that that sustain a running game. Look at the Rams. You know, look at the Chiefs. These guys run. That's how it comes. That's what it comes down to. And it's oh, absolutely it's it's cool too because it's all, it's a game of numbers. Right, you're trying yeah. to figure out where you outnumber the defense, and there's always going to be the one guy. They always have the one extra guy because you're accounting for the quarterback at that point. So, the one extra guy on the defense, you're pretty much trying to find the numbers. Now, if they start loading the box, yeah, it's okay to throw it up a couple times. But you're right, anything over I'm, I'm going to call it anything over 25, 25 throws in this game, unless we have seventy five percent control of the clock, I, I don't think I don't think it's going to be necessary to throw more than twenty five times. No, absolutely, and, and the only reason why you should throw more than twenty-five times is if you're, you know, you need to catch up, right? Otherwise, the, you can sustain a good game with twenty-five, thirty throws and a balanced running attack. Um, I don't expect to see the Cardinals get up fast on the on the Broncos. I really don't. Even if they have a home field advantage on Thursday night, I think this will be a pretty tight game. But it's about getting that ground game going, and it's going to be so important to do that. Look at what the the Saints did last year with their two running backs in Kamara and Ingram. There's a game against the Bills. They went 34 consecutive runs, I think, in the second half. 
and they scored a bunch. Of, Drew Brees just stopped throwing. They just ran, 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 and they just controlled the game and they dominated. You know, the Broncos should be looking at that film. What did they do to expose that? Like, there's a lot you can do with the run, but it just seems like they abandoned it so quickly. And like it or not, Case Keenum might have had a great year with the, uh, the the Vikings last year, but you know, he's not he's not an elite passer. He's a really good game manager, and he excels at that. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that is a bad thing. To be a good game manager in NFL, that's awesome. Like yep. quarterbacks, first and foremost, need to manage the game. And then after that, they can be elite passers. You know, you can't jump that step. You have to be really good at managing that game. If Drew Brees can sacrifice his throws and, you know, give the ball off 34 times in a row, Case Keenum sure can. You know? Right. And and something on that, too. And a lot of people are, you know, frustrated with Keenum. And, you know, rightfully, some of it's play calling, some of it's whatever. Uh my personal opinion is honestly we need to get rid of these timing routes because we're running 95% of our offensive passing has been timing routes and we need to get more of, of layers. And I don't know why we're not running these layer routes and, or anything over the middle. I think he hasn't thrown much over the middle at all. Um, but, you know, we keep throwing to the outside and these, these timing hooks and these timing, you know, deep balls. But um, on that, Case Keenum is the only quarterback in the NFL right now who's thrown an interception every game this week or this year. That's bad. That, that is very bad. And, and you know, like the, I remember talking about the first couple games, like, ah, you know, it's the chemistry between the players and it'll take a week or two to get on track. And, like, he's throwing a pick every game. You know, it's hard to – he's throwing multiple picks a couple times too, and it's hard to defend that. Yeah. You know, at one point is – maybe it is a timing thing because, it, it, like, a, a timing-based offense – uh, you're kind of taking away a lot of elements of innovation and a lot of oh, yeah. um, imp- improv too. You're kind of forcing the quarterback to just stick to to his timing and timing. And once a defense figures out your timing, they can be all over you. Right. So it's you kind of you know you shoot yourself in the foot by doing that. Sometimes well, it works, but sometimes it's too much. The worst part about these timing offense, and I think why a lot of people are being so frustrated without really knowing why, is is that your timing offense is if your if your look isn't open right away, you have nowhere else to go with the ball. It's not like with layer with layer uh, concepts that you can you know extend the play a little bit and people are still running their routes and still getting into different positions and you're just trying to wait for that one DB or that one linebacker to get out of position. With timing routes, there's there's none of that. If your timing's yeah. off right off the bat, your first your first timing route's off, your second timing route's off. There's nowhere to go with the ball because the timing routes stop. And at that point, that's when you see that, you know, you see the Case Keenum throwing it away or having to take the sack or whatever the case is. And that's what's frustrating. I think that's what's frustrating a lot of Broncos fans is that, you know, all of a sudden we can't throw the ball because he doesn't see it open for the first two looks. And then he has nowhere else to go. He has no other option. He has no way to become an athlete, extend the play and try to get the ball out to another receiver because the concept isn't there. Uh, Yeah. And you just you're forced to kind of throw it away or force the ball downfield. That's where the interceptions come. Exactly, and that's where exactly where the interceptions come. And then at that point too, you you feel the frustration of like, well, I can't take another sack or I can't throw it away again because it's just going to turn into that. So now you're trying to force the ball into these timing routes that aren't there that you've seen that aren't there, and that's where the interceptions come into into play. So I think a little bit more of uh, innovation. Like I think that's a big a good word you mentioned there. It's innovation on the offensive side of the Broncos will really go a long way. Uh, we have the talent, you know. We we've, we've seen the talent. Mm-hmm. We just have to show the innovation and show those different uh, different play call, play calls and go from there. And that's what's going to could step up our offense a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And uh, in terms of interceptions, like the the Cardinals have six interceptions in a year. Uh, Trey Boston has three. 
Um, and Patrick Peterson one, and I forget who has the other one. So it's, you know, they're an aggressive defense. They will get the ball. And I think that is also connected to the amount of sacks they've been getting. If you got 18 sacks, there's probably 36 plays where you pressured the quarterback and almost had a sack. Yeah. You know, so, and, and that, those are the plays where you throw and you're erratic and you're not looking. So, you know, they're, they're creating pressure. They're getting, you know, their hands on the ball. Um, and also with all these sort of flexible players in this defense, like we talked about Deion Buchanan being a sort of hybrid linebacker safety. Mm-hmm. We've also got Trey Boston, who I think plays safety, nickel. He, he's a, I think he's a big body guy too. So, you know, yeah, he's six foot two hundred. It's pretty average, but you know they, they play a lot of these weird coverages too. I think with these players, they're able to to jump them around, and you know you can if you can line up your your outside linebacker as maybe a nickelback on on some you know some plays. It's it creates some confusion, and with a timing offense, it's really difficult to uh, to fight against that because you're stuck in your way of running the offense. You're not able to adapt necessarily to what the defense provides. Right. You know, to change your timing on a game is very difficult when you've been working all week on it. You know, if, if the defense is just faster than you anticipated or a bit slower than you anticipated, it's, you know, there's so many that goes into it. There's so much stuff that makes it complicated, which is kind of blows my mind as why do we have to overcomplicate an offense like that? Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it is just as simple as sticking to the, to the original thought process, just different concepts. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I do want to move. I do want to move on a little bit, and I want to get into the news a little bit here. So uh, there's been a lot of rumor going around that the Arizona Cardinals are trying to trade bait a little bit on Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson, you know, has said nothing about it. The Cardinals have said nothing official, but just some rumor going around that they're trying to trade bait. What are the odds Elway comes down after the game and tries to tries to talk Patrick Peterson into coming to the Broncos for some sort of sort of, sort of trade? Or he's talking at the in Arizona. He's talking to the Arizona general manager. Goes, hey, what do you want? We'll take him because we obviously have a gaping hole at DB. He would fill that hole very well, and that might be able to turn yeah. our season around. What do you do? You think you think he's going to try? Yeah, that's you know what, like that'd be a great dream. Patrick Peterson is an all-pro player. Oh, yeah. um, he's versatile. He's a returner and he's a corner. Like, there's a lot of things that he does really well. Um, you know, I think it's worth a shot. Like, if you know, if I'm a GM and I know this player's available, I'm calling. Like, what are you looking for, right? Um, he's got 22 picks in his career, and he's just you know, he's one of these guys that you just you always have to account for. Um, if the Broncos could get his hands on him, that'd be amazing. That'd be so cool. But, you know, Patrick Pearson being an all pro like that, he, he's going to gonna come with a really high price tag. So oh, yeah. it depends on what Elway's willing to give up. Um, but Elway likes his veteran players, man. He, he's really into these players who know how to play the game. You don't have to train yeah. them up too much to fit a system. I think Patrick Pearson, you, you know, they got to try. Elway's got to try for him. And, and and he's always the best in the league at getting these high profile guys that were all pros before they came over. I mean, think about like obviously Peyton Manning and Demarcus Ware. I mean, these guys are guys that he picked up after they were all pros. Just said, hey, hey, you need to come play for the Broncos because this is where we play good football, and this is where you're gonna to succeed. And and hopefully that's hopefully that's the case. Hopefully he goes out there. Yeah, hopefully. So so let's go ahead and go into predictions. If you guys uh, are joining us last week, we started this new thing where. Uh, all of the Orange Weekly staff sent in their predictions for us, and we'll get to those here in a little bit. But before we get there, I do want to mention I re-listened to our podcast last week uh, about uh, after the game, and nobody, nobody expected the Rams to only score 23 points, which is something that I do want to say is good for the Broncos' defense. And we sacked Jared Goff more times than he's ever been sacked in any game. Uh, shout out to Bradley Chubb, who's finally stepping up and playing as a number a first over, a first round draft pick. 
But that being said, nobody expected them to, to score 23 points. So a little bit of a shout out to our defense. And he, honestly, like our passing defense, Jared Goff could, other than a couple big plays down the field, he really didn't get anything going. It was their run mm-hmm. game that really, really stood out more than anything else. But so with that being said, we didn't score over 20. They didn't score over 23. What, do you, what are you expecting going into this Arizona game with beat up offensive lines on both sides and everything that we talked about earlier in the podcast? Of course, it's impossible to predict. But yeah, big shout out to the Broncos defense because, you know, that five sacks on Goff, Goff didn't throw a touchdown and he threw less yards than than Gurley ran for. So that's that's really good. The the pressure in the passing defense. If if Broncos can bring that to Arizona, man, I think Arizona might, you know, might not score more than 10 points. And I think I'm going to roll with this. I think the Broncos defense is going to carry the swagger into this week. I'm calling the Broncos to win 21 to 10. I like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the numbers on this one. The Arizona offense is averaging 13 points per game, and I'm going to say that's exactly how much they score against us. I think it'll be a big play, one of those big broken plays, probably to Christian Kirk, as we were talking about mm-hmm. how you know good of an athlete he is. Um, I think you know he's probably going to be lined up against Bradley Roby, mostly, most likely, because we're going to have Chris Harris on, uh, Larry Fitzgerald. But that being said, I think they're going to score 13, but I do think the Broncos come away with a win. I am never, ever, ever going to predict that the Broncos are scoring over 30 points ever again. So I'm going to say <laughs> this is going to be a 27-13 game for the Broncos. It's going to be a handily, a handily won game, and it's going to kind of give a little bit more swagger back in the Broncos going into another tough week against Kansas City. Yeah. That seems pretty good. I like that. Yeah. So that being said, let's go ahead and take it to our Orange Weekly staff and see what they have to think. Hey guys, Kev Dan here, and you know with four losses in a row, it it hurts. It's a long month of losing, and this is a really good opportunity for us to, even though we're on the road and it's a short week, be able to go to Arizona, take advantage of the situation, and really put on uh, a really good game, come out strong, not get outcoached like we have in previous weeks, and kind of steal the game, if you will. So my score prediction, Broncos 27, Cardinals 10, and Tanner from the post-game podcast is saying the score is going to be Broncos uh, 23, Cardinals uh, 17. So he thinks it's going to be a closer game. I'm thinking we're going to run away with it. We'll uh, hopefully wait and see before too long what happens. But at the end of the day, you know, this is a this is the chance we have to kind of get things going in the right direction for us. So I'm going to leave it with that and say, go Broncos. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, this is David from the Beers, Broncos, and No BS show. Tough loss last week against the Rams in a winnable game, but you know what? No rest for the wicked. We're back on the road this week against the Cardinals on Thursday night. I think we get back in the win column, though, this week, Broncos country. I'll call it 20-17 to 17 Broncos. All right, so there is your outlook from the rest of the Orange Weekly staff. Thank you guys for sending those in. And uh, if you guys want to get in on this, go ahead and post and post your comments on our Facebook page and let us know what you think the score is going to be on this short road game against the Cardinals. 
So before we go on to the end of our show, I do want to mention, and I want to, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about uh, how I've been seeing, especially on social media, right? The keyboard warriors, everybody has those those moments where they want to be keyboard warriors. Is there's a lot of a lot of bad talk and negative energy going around Denver Broncos country right now, and and I get it, right? We're 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 two and four, and that's a rough rough situation to be in. However, before you guys get all mad at me for trying to be positive about this season. Obviously, everyone's calling for the firing of Vance Joseph. We talked about that last couple of weeks. They're calling for the sitting of Case Keenum. He's an awful quarterback, this, that, and the other thing. The one thing that everybody needs to remember before you guys start calling for the heads of everybody is that we've had much worse teams in the past 10, let's say 20 years. In the last 20 years, I, I can think of three years off the top of my head. Everyone says that Vance Joseph's ruining this, this organization, that this is the worst season they've ever seen. I've been a fan for 75 years, and this is the worst team I've ever seen. Guaranteed it's not, first of all. In the last 20 years, I'm going to bring up three seasons that will make you remember that maybe we don't have it as bad as we think we do. First one is the 1999 post-John Elway hangover uh, Brian Greasy started 0-4, and, and we lost by an average of at least 17 points per game. We had two games where it was just blowout starting 0-4. So we're definitely better off on that team, and I think that team ended up going less than 8-8. Yeah, that's a pretty greasy team there. Yeah, yeah, Brian Greasy was definitely terrible. So uh, mm-hmm. 2010, Josh McDaniels came in from New England and ruined the Denver Broncos. Everybody said <laughs> the same thing that year. I'm not sure if you remember that. The Broncos ended up Oh, he ruined them. Four and twelve that season. Four and twelve that season. Josh McDaniels came in and ruined the Broncos. Everybody was like, "There's no way we're coming back from that." And that was literally only eight years ago. 2011, the year after Josh McDaniels, we start off one and four. We ended up replacing with Tim Tebow. Ended up coming in the game. We ended up finishing out eight and eight. And that was a rough season too. If anybody remembers, nobody could play football until the fourth quarter, and we were. Just getting by by the skin of our teeth. So before we call for people's heads, before we start saying this is the worst team you've ever seen, let's look back on the Broncos country and our history. Just eight years ago, we went 4-12 and with Josh McDaniels, and since then we have won the Super Bowl and been to two. It could be worse. That's all it saying. could be much worse. That's, that's a great point, Jared, because football is so unpredictable and there's so much parity in the league that any game is unpredictable. At any point in time, can a team come up and start winning? So... Yeah, there have been some rest. I remember that Josh McDaniels here. That was, I'm sorry, but he ruined the Broncos. <laughs> Getting rid of Cutler and Brandon Marshall. Like, yeah. that was just, and like drafting Tim Tebow in the first round. Oh, yeah. Like, come on. Like, that was just embarrassing. And I, I honestly think this team is much better than they were back then. Absolutely. And, you're, you know, who knows where the Broncos can be next year. And I think Vance Joseph is a great coach. I think he's got a great mind and he's he's got a lot of potential. I just don't think he's the right guy for this job. Straight up. And I, I think agree. that, you know, Elway needs to evaluate and maybe a new head coach next year is the way to go. But it's going to get a lot better. Absolutely going to get a lot better. And we talked about it last week. I think VJ has, Vance Joseph has a, a, probably a long career of head coaching in his future. I just, you, you're right. He just doesn't fit in with the Broncos organization and the culture that we have as a winning culture, as a, you know, proud culture. He's just not fitting into that right now. And I don't mm-hmm. think he's ever going to be able to go get, come back from it. That's where I think this is all stemming from. I think so too. He's he's dug himself too too big of a hole, the Broncos. And another thing too, it's you know, there's a lot of coaches out there that are just like excellent, excellent coordinators, but they're just Absolutely. okay head coaches. Look at Wade Phillips is a great example. Absolutely. He was an okay head coach. He won a few games, he lost a bunch of games, but he never really made much. But as a coordinator, he should be a Hall of Famer. Oh, he's by you know, like Oh yeah, same with Josh McDaniels. Terrible head coach, but as a coordinator, like blows my mind what he does every week. So there's some coaches that just 
I'm sorry, but you can't be a, the, the leader, but you can be a leader. You know, Vance Joseph was a pretty good coordinator on the defensive side, and he could still be that. So it's okay if you're not a great head coach at the NFL because there's only a handful of people that can do that job historically. Absolutely. So if you're not one of those, that's fine. Don't, don't, you know, don't consider yourself a horrible person. Vance Joseph is not a terrible, atrocious coach. He's just in a shitty situation. Right. Pardon my yeah. French. Vance Joseph has a long career ahead of him. We mentioned that. And I think calling saying that he's the worst coach ever, that he's ruining the Broncos is just not the thing to do. And you know what? We, we have Keep to be order. strong. We have to be stronger as a fan base and prove that we are one of the better fan bases in the, in the league. Cause if, if we keep this up, we're no better than any other team in the league that when they start going, start doing bad, you just start trash talking the team. And I get the frustration, mm. but there's a difference between being frustrated that there's no productivity and trash talking a team and calling them out for things that aren't sometimes aren't really there, you know, calling name calling and all this other stuff. You, you can't do that as a, as a team. And, um, you know, so Tanner and Jeff who do the, uh, post game podcast, if you go listen to their post game podcast from the LA game, they were actually at the LA game there in Denver. And they said that the, the atmosphere was just weird. I mean, nobody was really motivated. I mean, you know, it was only a three point game at the end of the game and it yeah. still just seemed like there was no, there was something in the air that you could just tell that the fans were just not fully into it. Like they expected to lose the game as soon as the game started. Yeah, and that's I mean going up against a six and zero Rams like five and zero at that time like it's it's kind of demoralizing too. But the one thing I found kind of weird too is at halftime uh, Chad Kelly came in to take a knee the last play and people yeah. were cheering. Like you know, I, I get the frustrations. You know, it's but it's listen, it's sports. It's what you sign up for as a sports fan. You're not going to win every game. Sorry, there's only one team like that per you know decade, and right now it's the Pats. So too bad. You know what I mean? It's like. What would you expect? This may be a very unpopular opinion, but there's a reason that those people that are cheering are paying to go watch the game, and the guys that are actually making the decisions are getting paid to make the decisions. Uh, that's absolutely it. We all like to be GMs and coaches and stuff from where we sit, but at the end of the day, we have no idea what goes into these jobs and absolutely. these situations. And these men are playing their hardest. They're coaching their hardest. They're doing their absolute best. Sometimes it doesn't work out, and that's just it. And that's where we sit on the season. So... On that note, let's go ahead and hope for a good game in Arizona. Uh, let's hope yeah, for a Broncos yeah. win. Let's hope for a bounce back. You start, you know, kick off the season, come back from that, get some motivation, go into Kansas City. And then we have a long road ahead of us, right? We're only a few games into this season. There's plenty of time and, and, and space to turn this around, especially going into the second half of the season if you look at the schedule. So with that being said, is there any uh, last words that you want to mention, Matt? No, I'm looking forward to the Broncos go to three and four. Yep. Yeah, let's let's hope for that three and four on Thursday night. And I hope you guys enjoyed the game. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you tell your friends. And make sure you guys go to the Facebook page, Orange Weekly Facebook page. Follow all of our happenings Tuesday night, Wednesday nights, Monday late nights. We have shows, uh, lots of different insights and opinions, lots of different options from a, a wider range of expertise throughout, throughout the United States. So thanks again, Matt. I uh, appreciate you, you joining us, and we're going to go ahead and kick this off and finish this off with a Go Broncos. I'm